the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's Lifeline with Jesse Gestand. He's the host of Way of Grace, a pastor and a community leader. He's a teacher and an inspiration. He's Lifeline's own Jesse Gestand. And uh, we are in on this Monday edition of Lifeline. The time, 5.05. Let me see if I can hear myself. There we go. A whole lot better on December 11th, 2017. Cool day. Strange events taking place in our world. I don't know, but I'm glad to be here. I hope you are too. The number to reach yours truly is one triple eight three six seven five three two nine. One triple eight three six seven five three two nine on this Monday edition of Lifeline with your host, Jesse Gistan, keeping you company for the next two hours, as has been the case for a number of years. Just as I said, thinking about some Interesting things taking place in our world today. Of course, we are drawing to the end of the year. A few more weeks before that is the case. And we are also in our holiday season. It happens to be the season of Christmas, where we celebrate the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. As it was in the days when the Son of God was born into the world, There were all kinds of controversies, all kinds of difficulties, all kinds of troubles swirling around the conception and then ultimately the birth of Jesus of Nazareth. And nothing has changed since that day. In fact, trouble and controversy and the swirling political winds, as Daniel describes them in Daniel chapter 7, the four beasts, if you will, Babylon, Medo-Persia, uh, the Grecian kingdom, and then the Roman Empire under four uh, zoomorphic images uh, describe the constant chaos, rising up and falling of nations, the swirling of the seas as Daniel saw them. I saw the four winds striving upon the great sea. The sea there is a metaphor, an analogy of the nations, the peoples of the world, Isaiah says it. In chapter 57, verse 21, the wicked are like the troubled sea, tossed to and fro, can never find rest. That's the society that you live in, and it's the society that I live in as well. So we're not surprised that although we are in one of the most spectacular seasons of the year, referring again to the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ, we are also very much aware of trouble, 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 trouble. Um, It just is that way, ladies and gentlemen, and has been that way since the days of King David, a thousand years before the greater David, the Lord Jesus Christ, his great, 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 great grandson um, who took the throne some 50 days after his resurrection and uh, as sessioned now for almost 2,000 years, Uh, ruling over the nations of the world as the sovereign Lord, for God has made him both Lord and Christ. And yet, having opened the seven seals, 
sequentially, seal after seal after seal, judgment in the book of Revelation, we are very much aware that history is unfolding and unwinding and developing and culminating exactly and precisely as the prophetic word would uh, would set forth and in anticipate, if you will. And so that's where you and I are. If you have a real sense of sort of uh, duplicity or uh, amb- ambiguity about where we are today, uh, I think you have every right uh, to do so. Um, just, just every right to feel a little bit worried about where we are in our season. Um, Trouble, again, is the term. Trouble uh, is the is the issue that's taking place in our time. And it's it's designed really to lay us low, to to cause our posture to um, to draw near to God in humility and ask him for the kind of protection and guidance and clarity and perspective and wisdom needed to negotiate and navigate a um, war torn world. What are you talking about, P.J.? Well, you know, the the news all over the place is escalating conflicts, uh, inevitable war here in a moment with Korea. Uh, They are now developing, or at least that's the rhetoric from Kim, is uh, is biological, uh, tactical war. Uh, weapons of war to engage in an inevitable battle with the with the south of Korea, southern Korea, and then also perhaps the United States. Well, here we are again, uh, less than a year into our present president's term, and here recently we have looked upon a ISIS-inspired uh, attempted attack in New York, New York. Um, and and here's the rhetoric once again of of attacks, attacks, attacks taking place this time on our soil. And if you listen to Jay Sekulow a little while ago in uh, uh, heated anticipation for yours truly, um, you know, they're they're talking, you know, uh, that ISIS is, is 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 reforming and transforming and moving out of <clears throat> the large um uh, a status, formal status of uh, of a, a warmongering state and going covert again. All that simply is coded language to let you and I know, uh, you know, that that things are not under control, if you will, um, as as the government would be seeking to try to establish control over that whole faction and whole issue that has been going on in the Middle East for so many years and is so complex in its own origin and uh, and and nature relative to the political um, choices that, that the West has made along with Europe in relationship to Iraq and Saudi Arabia all these years, hence the days of... Um, some of the older guys uh, in in Europe that uh, that have helped carved out the different uh, eras, uh, Neville Chamberlain and um, you know the other guy, the guy that says we will never quit, we will fight to the end. His name will come up in a moment. In any event, here we are again in the year two thousand um, seventeen, wondering what what life is going to be like here in a few years or even in a few months. Well, ladies and gentlemen, this was really the context of the birth of Christ. When you look through the gospel of Matthew and then the gospel of Luke, it was extremely problematic times, troublesome times. Um, 
just difficult times. And they were prophesied as well in the book of Daniel, chapter 9, 24 through 27. And the and the temple shall be built again in troublesome times and in uh, difficult times shall the streets of Jerusalem be reestablished. That was a prophecy concerning the days of the Lord Jesus Christ, not these end times. But as a sort of uh, eschatological prophetic fulfillment, I would certainly snatch Daniel chapter 9, 24 through 27 and make some application to us where we are today, knowing that we are dealing with the last half of the last week of the 70 weeks of Daniel which is where we are in the last three and a half years. That's why the book of Revelation only gives you the language of a time, a times and a half of times or 42 months or 1,260 days, et cetera. That all is terminology referring to the last half of the week. And if we were to get into the different eschatological models, which we won't, they just really don't ultimately matter. Um, one would be speculating. Are we on the brink of uh, tribulation uh, as such as we have never seen before in the world. And uh, swirling around those notions is the question of what just recently happened with our president, as it were, announcing that he believes that Jerusalem ought to be the capital um, of Israel. And and all of that then begins to spark questions on the part of Christians who are um, excited about politics. Um, I'll leave that for you to pose if you want to call in and and raise that particular question and issue. I I will give you one word. Trouble, 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 trouble. And if you like trouble, then uh, then, uh, you know, you you might be very well happy about the kind of rhetoric going on around that phraseology. Um, The president can't make it happen. He's not a god. And neither is he a despotic king where he can make it happen. That he would like for it to be doesn't mean that it will be. So be very careful about somehow um, capitulating in, in in sort of a elated joy that his position politically is that he wants to see Jerusalem to be the capital. I think that uh, given the fact that he's president and he has taken a conservative posture, Um, quasi-conservative posture and therefore is identified with the Republicans. It's just part of the playbook. For those of you who know the dialectical process, it's just part of the playbook. That's just the route he has to go. He can't be an um, anti-Jewish or an um, anti-Temple sort of politician relative to um, the relationship between America and Israel. So there you go. That's the, you talk about what, what's coming down the, the pike in terms of America. Well, I think the forthcoming weeks and months uh, and possibly years, given our real state of affairs, ladies and gentlemen, you know, politically and socially uh, and, and definitely spiritually. I talked about this yesterday in my message as I was dealing with the four living creatures of Ezekiel chapters 1 and 10, and then also Revelation 4 and 5. You can listen to it on the online. Um, yeah, we are in uh, in some real precarious um, situations here in America, and I don't think it's a time for any kind of uh, hyper-optimistic optimist, uh, expectation. I think it's a time for sober reflection sober contemplation, uh, a serious analysis of an accurate biblical assessment of where we are versus sort of a um, hopeful uh, theoretical optimism that might be based upon, again, the advantage of certain political positions. As Christians, we need to be very much aware of what the Bible teaches 
and uh, and and the broad scopes of uh, interpretations that are often employed in those things. I myself am just watching day by day and thanking God for the opportunity that every day presents itself relative to some normalcy. As I state frequently, even on this program, be thankful that you have a normal day today. Um, Allegedly, they were seeking to attack uh, one of the subways in New York. That would have changed people's life. Okay. If a a bomb would have successfully gone off in the subways in New York um, as a result of ISIS attacking and as a result of them attacking simply because President Trump says he believes that the capital of Jerusalem, uh, the capital in Israel ought to be Jerusalem. Well, there you go. People's worlds would have changed if there were actual tangible connections between the two. People's worlds would have changed and not for the good, in my opinion. Um, by the way, the goal of the church ought to be establishing a deep rooted peace in the souls of men through Christ um, and, and letting those political issues that are uh, emerging as beasts that have been um, were and uh, yet are um, take care of themselves while we stay in the priestly prophetic role of uh, witnessing to men about their need of Jesus. Um, let your moderation be known unto all men that the Lord Jesus is at hand. I think that that's the attitude we ought to have, uh, especially as we are moving towards the Christmas uh, holiday season, the, the the celebration of his birth on December 25th, which has nothing to do with his birthday, by the way, as you most of you should know. Just a um, coy day um, designated in order to uh, buttress up against the shortest day of the year and the winter solstice, along with um, just a litany of, of traditions historically around the the Christmas era. But there's nothing biblical about it. There's nothing anti-biblical about it relative to uh, celebrating his birth. is absolutely a wonderful thing to do. Uh, but it comes with all of the kind of trouble that has the Matthew-Luke narrative so intriguing. This Sunday I'll be addressing the birth of Christ uh, and Mary and Joseph having to return to Bethlehem from Galilee and that journey and all of the implications of it as Quirinius, um, the governor, had uh, mandated a census and taxation period, uh, which reminds us we all have to pay taxes and then die down here. Um, and so our Lord um, was conceived and, and brought into the world and very much some of the same kinds of economic, social and spiritual difficulties that we are in Today, so uh, the people of God ought to be just very much like the people in the book of Luke, particularly chapter two, where they were waiting for the consolation of Israel. I would ask you the question, are you waiting for the consolation of Israel? That is the Lord Jesus Christ to return a second time uh, to deliver us from this present evil world. Um, Or are you enamored by the things that are going on in this in this world. A um, lot to talk about. I got a couple of really interesting questions that I want to raise about uh, a pastime that the West experiences and, and enjoys, and I do too. And I had to really sit back and think about the question that was posed to me um, about sports and particularly football. Um, are we advocates of violence? Wouldn't we watch football and support football and pay for the gargantuan prices of a football ticket or even season tickets and just 
We just are, are are covetously given to the the observance of the game, even though we watch person after person after person go off the field in injury as if we are once again in the gladiator games. It's the question that one author raises concerning Christians and football. Is football too violent for Christians, says Tony Rank. I think that's a good place to start. Although I will take your questions and comments and observations on political scenarios and theological ones as well. The number is one triple eight three six seven five three two nine one triple eight three six seven five three two nine. I do enjoy football and I I enjoyed so many aspects of it, but I definitely do not enjoy when someone gets hurt. I actually don't enjoy when there's a head to head hit. I don't enjoy the dirty hits either. Never have. But we do have to ask the question, what are we doing when we sit there just enamored at these physical specimens of almost godlike status, hurling themselves like missiles at one another? Do Christians advocate violence when they watch football or boxing? Or or what goes on in the octagon ring, you know, same kind of thing. Let's talk about it a little bit. One triple eight three six seven five three two nine. One triple eight three six seven five three two nine. Now don't five three two nine. Now don't get too holy on me, and I'm not gonna let you do that. Now just all right, just just keep it real. <laughs> Glad to be with you on the Monday edition of Lifeline. We'll be right back. And now back to Lifeline with Jesse Gistand. And we are back the time, 525 on the Monday edition of Lifeline. The number is one 367 if you want to uh, chat with yours truly. Um, talking about uh, football a bit, I was reading an article earlier today, is football a violent sport for Christians? And the, uh, the author of this article was definitely re recapitulating some of the most hideous uh, events that took place recently, particularly between um, the Cincinnati Bengals and the Pittsburgh Steelers. As he quotes, by the time it ended, Hall of Fame quarterback Troy Aikman called it terrible for the NFL and the game of football overall. The injuries were brutal. Early in the first quarter, he says, Ryan Chaser, a pro bowl linebacker for the Steelers, injured his back on a table, fell on the ground, on a tackle rather, fell on the ground and rolled from his side to his back, clearly unable to move his legs, signaling for help from the sideline. He was carted off on a stretcher and hospitalized over several days for a serious injury. What unfolded next in the words of one reporter was a parade of illegal hits and deliberate headshots between regional rivals, a melee ending in flags, fines, and a few suspensions from the league. Juju Smith-Schuster was flagged, fined, and suspended for a dirty blindsided block of Vontae's perfect. On the broadcast, John Gruden called it bad football and bad for the game. And this Arthur goes on to talk about a number of other uh, football um, buffs who who chimed in on the subject, but then he went on to say, and I, I definitely want you to to hear this because I think this is the area in which we need to be thinking about it as as Christians and as people. Chronic 
traumatic encephalopathy. Encephalopathy is a degenerative neurological disease, and it has changed the way football Violence is being perceived. New studies and reportings have raised questions about the NFL's knowledge of the CTE in the past and their efforts towards making the game safer today. CTE reportedly causes all sorts of problems in the lives of retired football players, including memory loss, confusion, depression, mood changes, a rise in anxiety and aggressiveness, and early onset dementia. In one study of 111 brain of disease, in one study of 111 brains, that is, I guess, of deceased former NFL players, 110 were neuropathologically diagnosed with CTE. That is 99%. In the same study among college football players, get this now, the ones that are alive, college football players, 48 of 53 had it, that is 91%, though it remains rather unclear how widespread CTE really is. In August, longtime NFL quarterback Boomer Iason, 56, said it would not surprise him if he was diagnosed with CTE. Why? Because I think all football players probably have it. So what role do we, the spectators, play in the long-term price of football violence? It leaves me with a question I cannot uh, ignore. Assuming the accuracy of major reports of the degenerative brain disease, chronic traumatic encephalopathy, a lengthy word, encephalopathy, found often in the brains of former American football players, and assuming concussion, concussions, which is the movie that um, Will Smith recently did. I don't know if you saw it, but it was an excellent movie uh, given to this very issue here. Remain a common part of the game today. And assuming a Christian is aware of all this, is a Christian who buys a game ticket or team merchandise of an NFL or NCAA football team complicit in funding a system that will likely lead to CTE uh, consequences later in a player's life? Yes or no? Why or why not? I asked six friends to respond not to uh, arrive at one consensus, but for each to share their own perspective as we all consider this controversy from a number of angles. And, of course, uh, if I took the time to read them, you would discover that they all had different views on it and justified it in really a, a fairly legitimate way relative to the fact that sports has always had levels of uh, danger to them. Almost every sport that we enjoy basketball, football, uh, and even baseball, and certainly outdoor sports like bike riding and, and skiing, uh, etc. All of them have serious injury capacities, and I agree with that assessment relative to sports. I really do agree with that assessment. And so, again, the question would be to you uh, out there who do enjoy and watch football, yet you see these anomalies that are becoming less anomalies, and that is almost every week someone's getting hurt. And probably in secret, those injuries are life-threatening um, with regards to concussions and CTE. And I'd like to know what you think about it. one 367 I'm going to take another break, and then I'll take your phone calls on the Monday edition of Lifeline. The number is one 367 I will be right back.
And now, back to Lifeline with Jesse Gistand. And we are back to time 535 on the Monday edition of Lifeline. Kind of a quiet, but um, very good day. Yesterday was awesome in terms of worship. Enjoyed it thoroughly. I hope you did, too. Just a great time with the saints. The Lord met us in the preaching of the word and the worship. It was just fantastic. Fantastic. Two lines are open. Be glad to hear from you on whatever topic you want to call in about. one 367 Two lines are open. I was posing the issue of football, especially for the fellas that are out there. Are we thinking... Uh, when we watch these kinds of sports and they have the kind of injuries that we that they do, are we thinking at all from a moral ethical standpoint of, of being at least partially responsible for the sustenance of that type of violent game? Um, and is there any correlation between it and the gladiator games of the Roman Empire for uh, centuries before Christianity and centuries after until finally the people had enough and their eyes seemed to open up mysteriously at the vanity of that kind of sport, particularly when it meant the ending of people's lives. Here we are 2,000 years later, almost, not quite, but close, um, 18, 1900 years later. Uh, and, and I think that we have a level of moral consciousness starting to arise simply because of technology, like internet and, 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 and television and, and radio, as you and I can talk together as thousands of people listening at one time, and somebody uh, is, is the mouthpiece for raising the level of consciousness. And, and over time, it shifts our thinking and therefore our affections and therefore our choices. So, yeah, no, I love football, but I do want to I do want to pose that question. So I'll take two callers. Fellas, give me a call. One, triple eight, three, six, seven, five, three, two, nine. In the meanwhile, I'll talk to Deb in Oakland. Deborah, what's your question, thoughts or comments? Something bothers me about this whole thing. It used to be that you could go out and play and have fun and not have to worry about getting hurt. And that really bothers me. You know, because it's about Christmas, and Christmas is about abundant life, and that doesn't sound like life to me. It sounds like death. And it really is discouraging because Jesus came to give life and give life more abundantly. And and he didn't, you know, I don't think that what's going on now in sports is what he had in mind at all, but I, I didn't call for that reason. I called because... I want to thank all of your wonderful listeners mm-hmm. and you and all of the pastors and their congregations for stepping up and ministering to people like myself. Mm-hmm. I, I still need help on meals and stuff and whenever people can. And if anyone ever wants to cook for me, they can they can call me mm-hmm. and... They can bring, bring uh, talk to me on the phone, and we can discuss that. Because food and fellowship and family and friends is what holidays are all about. And there are a lot of us that we just don't have that. I agree that food and fellowship and family is is uh, actually the epitome of life, in my opinion. Uh, short of glory, it's the epitome of life. I certainly agree with that 
And I, and we're trusting, as we stated last time, Deb, that uh, people will respond and be a blessing to those of you who are not uh, so fortunate to have loved ones in your life at this time of season. These are difficult times. They are very difficult times. And so um, the, the, the audience is listening, and I am sure the audience is poised to to respond, and they will respond. Your family can give me a Christmas present. You know what you can do? What's that? You can sing. You have beautiful voices. Oh, yeah. Well, you know the girls are going to be singing next week. So if you listen to the program, you're going to get all that. Yeah. But uh, but at some time, if they want to visit me and sing to me personally, they're welcome to do that also. All right. I'll let you you ask them that question next Monday, too. You can do that. Okay. Uh, yeah, they're supposed to be scheduled. You, the, the whole audience is supposed to be scheduled to be blessed by uh, the high school students next week, uh, Lord willing, where we can just sing a bunch of carols and uh, not we, them, uh, and, and bless and bless you guys. And of course, that would be a blessing. I'm sure that would be a real blessing. We'll keep that. We'll keep that in prayer. Because I don't believe I don't believe with K E A R, but you know, with Brother Camping, but I think that there, it should be. There should be certain weeks and no other music should be played for Christmas music all day long and all night long. Yeah, that sounds good, but that you have to be a certain kind of radio station for that to occur, and this one is not. Oh, that's too bad. Yeah. Yeah, that's how that works. Anyhow, I have to stop talking about that kind of stuff. I'll talk to you later. You are absolutely right too. Thanks, Deb, about um about, you know, sports and stuff, they are such an integral part of this season. I think uh, on on Christmas, football is on virtually all day long, if I'm not mistaken, uh, all day long. So that really is an interesting thought. That's probably why my brothers are not calling. (laughs) 1-888-367-5329 if you want to call in and make an observation or a question or a comment about uh, what I have uh, poised as our opening monologue. Or if you want to change the station, change the subject, you guys certainly can do that. I've got three lines open, 1-888-367-5329. Let me go to line two and talk with Linda in Utah. Okay, Linda, what's going on up there in Utah? Hi. Hi, Pastor Jesse. Thanks for your help last week. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Lord ha- helped me with that. Good. Uh, it, I mean, you know, uh, some. It yeah. Got me through, yeah, it got me through the last couple of days. I was able to talk to my uh, friend who's older and just ask her, you know, not to use God's name in vain. And she apologized, and she really tried, but she kept slipping. But anyhow, so the Lord uh, let me spend a day and a half with her. Yeah. And it was okay. It was okay. Yeah. But uh question, I know this is, you know, so you know, base basic and um there's way more important things, but these little things have helped me, so I thought I'd call you back. Sure. Okay, so this oh thank you. So this is um my question is that you know, um um I uh I you know, the Grace Church I uh heard the gospel from, you know, we um had all those, you know, um, those gospel songs, hymns, and that. Yeah. And um, and then, you know, I've been listening to Martin Lloyd Jones, and I like, his, you know, the Lord has taught me through his preaching. Sure. I, I have to say it right away. He has taught me through his preaching, and and so now this has to do with music, and I, so, um, you know, a lot of you know, all, uh, a lot of people have different feelings on music, and they say, well, it shouldn't be, you know. Um, 
too exciteful because, and, and you know, I kind of understand this, and this is why I do struggle with such a basic thing, but um, that our flesh, you know, um, you know, gets um, involved, uh, gets um, excited uh, with music, and so I don't want to be. Although you know, God makes be- God gives people beautiful voices, and He He gives people talent to make music. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so but. <laughs> I don't know how you differentiate when you're, you know, praising God or, or you're just getting emotional. And um, so I was wondering, you know, because so you got the basic hymns, which have the greatest, you know, words. And then, like, I was listening to Martin Lloyd Jones, and that was such a long time ago. Um, you know, their singing was kind of like opera, and um, it kind of sounded like it was opera, and it, and it could be. Con- you know, you, when you hear it, you could say, well, that's kind of pretentious, although I couldn't even understand the words. And now we're in today, right now, and I, and someone sent me the song, What a Beautiful Name It Is. Right. Um, you know the song, right? Of course I do. Oh, I really like that song. Mm-hmm. What do you think? I don't want to be caught up in my emotions because obviously I'm a very emotional person. Why not? Okay, as long as it's because Jesus died for my sins and right, has I, a beautiful I, name. Right, he, yeah, what a beautiful name it is. Yeah, yeah, a beautiful yeah. name it is. The uh, name of Jesus. What a beautiful name it is. Um, yeah. the, the, the song, the song is an expression of the heart to God. And the diversity of singing and music on the part of every ethnic group, every culture and its own unique cultural expression and dynamic is what constitutes um, a, a, a worshipful acceptance before God relative to those people doing it with a knowledge of who the true and the living God is and who the Lord Jesus is and a heart that's sanctified by redeeming grace. Your question is classic. It's classic. And before I take a break, here's what I'm going to say about it. Um, uh, Emotionalism uh, minus a spiritual and vital quickening. That is a consequence of, a knowledge of God and a reflection of his glory and splendor and beauty is paganism. Emotionalism minus absent a knowledge of God and the splendor and beauty and glory of the Lord Jesus Christ prompted by the effusion of the spirit of God upon our mind and then our heart, which affects our emotions is true worship. So here's an interesting thing that happened yesterday before I take a break. So if you were to go online and and watch the message I preached, um, apparently the Lord showed up, Linda, in a way that at the end of the message, it moved many of the people in our congregation to stand up and to praise God right along with myself. Many people, many people, because we have a good sized congregation. But in the process of people praising him as we were worshiping uh, God, according to Revelation 4, 
four and all of the saints and all of the angels and the 24 elders and the four living creatures <laughs> bowed before his throne and rendered Yay. unto him glory, glory, glory. Um, that, that, that manifestation at the end of the service was extremely powerful and we didn't even continence for the moment that it was called emotionalism and yet not everybody stood up. Mostly everybody were clapping, but lots of people stood up. Some remained seated, but I am very confident that the vast majority were moved because it was unpretentious. It wasn't like a form and we weren't like, okay, go now and get at it. Nor was it this, nor was it the kind of uh, conjuring up of emotions that often goes on in churches where the drums is going and the keyboard is going and the horns are going and the singers are going and and, because you can make that happen. Right. And it has nothing to do with the spirit of God at all. It is pure emotionalism. So I do want to say that the question that you are raising is so important because there is a kind of dead, flat, non-connectedness in people's observing the preaching and hearing the word and not being moved to actually worship God. And, and, and some people know that I, I see transformation in our own church along these lines. Some people know, Linda, that they are actually not worshiping God, that they are kind of like on the brink of it, like they're spectators and they, they know they should enter in. They know they should be saying in their soul, amen. They know they should be moving from amen to uh, expressing a heartfelt response to God. They know it because the whole of our Bible demonstrates that in terms of people uh, who knew God. All of the saints that ever had a revelation of God fell on their face before his holiness. That was, that was a prostration. And, and the Psalms are filled with this. So what I am saying to you is, uh, don't for a moment it, try to impede your emotions relative to your worship of God. Don't don't for a moment do it. Just understand that our emotions must be driven by a revelation, a knowledge, and understanding of the true and the living God and the glory of God in His redemptive work through Jesus Christ, so that it is a an authentic and genuine response to the gospel. If it is not rooted in the proclamation and in the praise and in the gathering. Gathering of the people of God, because when we gather together, we're glad to be together with the saints as well. Um, then, then we may suspect it merely being emotional. Like we can get, we can get excited about secular songs. There are a number of secular songs I like, uh, but uh-huh. but they don't move me at all the way sacred songs do. <laughs> so you're saying you must be born again to be able to. No. Did, did I understand? No, 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 no. But don't don't worry about it. I'm going I'm to take a few more minutes and and clarify this. I don't want it to be a wooden interpretation. I want you to understand that we're all different. Okay. So some of our brothers and sisters are they're not going to ever go amen out loud. Ever that that, oh. that that was Martin Lawrence Jones crowd. That's our brothers, our European brothers, way over there across the water. Uh uh-uh, uh uh uh. Right. They not they not gonna stand up. They not gonna clap. But on the inside, they're happy. Yeah. On the inside, they're happy. And then when you go to our our more darker regions of the world, uh, our Latino brothers, our Hispanic brothers, uh, um, uh, once you start making your way to our African brothers, our Polynesian brothers, where they happy from the get go. So, you yeah. know, the, the joy is more exuberant and external because of culture, because of genetics, because of of who we are by nature. Uh, and, and it all is acceptable where it is rooted in a knowledge of God and is prompted by the spirit of God because of the glory of God revealed in the preaching of the gospel. 
Does that make sense? Thank you, Pastor Jesse. Thank you. Yeah, so you go ahead on with your with your bad self. <laughs> I will, cause yeah, cause I I love that. Yeah, me too. I love the words. Yeah, I love the words. yeah. They're all about God and the Lord and saving our soul and mm-hmm. His sacrifice, His mm-hmm. blood. I mean, so thank you, Pastor Jesse. I know these things are bas- basic, but. No, they're um, they're they very have, important, they have, Linda. Yeah, yeah. Okay. they're very they're yeah, very thanks. important. Thank you. Bless okay. you. I got to take a break. Two lines open. One triple eight three six seven five three two nine. Two lines. As I said to the saints in closing my message yesterday, I said three things ought to mark a mature believer: glorious, Christ exalting, God glorifying, spirit aided preaching, passionate, God exalting, Christ glorified, spirit aided. Prayer and passionate, God-glorifying, Christ-exalting, spirit-aided praise. Two lines open, one 367 one I'll be right back. And now, back to Lifeline with Jesse Gistand. And we're back, the time, 555 on the Monday edition of Lifeline. One line open if you want to call. Although we have another hour after this segment, one triple eight three six seven five three two nine. What a wonderful call from Linda. Uh, that topic is so important. Your worship must be real. It must not be fictitious. It must not be synthetic. It must not be mustered up by emotionalism. But it never should be absent of your emotions. God made you to worship him radically in spirit and in truth. And it may not look like my expression, but it should be there. I I tell the story all the time of one young man that used to um, uh, frequent our church years ago who would sit and listen to my preaching, and he would be almost astonished. That's an old English term for stone-faced. And yet, and I mean, other people are moved by the preaching. He's sitting there, he's a young man. What I would see coming out of his eye, one eye, was a tear. Just one little tear would come down. Face not moving. Handsome young man. Face not moving, and the tear would just come down. And I I used to look and go, now what's going on with that? For years, and then one day we were having dinner, and this is why sitting and fellowshipping with people in, at dinner and getting to know each other is so critical to how we assess one another on a more objective level and in context like church. He told me, Pastor Jesse, he said, your preaching moves me so much on the inside. He was a Greek uh, and, and just very fair-skinned, handsome, looked like Superman, uh, but not on steroids. In, in any event, uh, he, he said, and yeah, the tear um, is, is just a tear of joy. And so I, I thought to myself, see, everybody does it a little bit, a little bit differently. So we got to be careful about judging covers. Let me go to line number one. Let me see. No, line number three right now and talk with Coach and Vallejo, Coach, are you there? How are you, sir? I'm good. In Hercules. Yeah, yeah, I know where you are. I got Vallejo here, though. But that, that's that's right up. That's right up the street. That's right down. It, the it's, way. it's right down. The, it's right down the way. Uh, how you doing? I'm good. I'm I'm home. Um, no more football. Okay. For how long? Uh, just for a few weeks. That's what I thought. That's what I thought. Then the off season will start. Right. Listen. But I get my wife back and and we get our routine back. Oh, listen, listen. Let's 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 just take these next few moments and deal with my opening monologue. I trust you were listening. 
I, what, that prompted me to call. Yes. Me. Yeah, man, I, I trust you were listening. And I've got some fantastic responses by different pastors about the, the subject that we're discoursing. And, of course, the guy that's, that wrote the article, he himself is a Christian and um, – and, and a pastor as well. So these are pastors talking about the game that they love. And, and the Arthur was not at all uh, dissing the game from the standpoint that he doesn't watch. He's simply addressing what I think is a prudent observation that needs to be regarded relative to this unique, unique sport called football. And so the question that was posed of which I am looking forward to your observation and analysis from being up close to it. Is football too violent for Christians? Now, this, the question is way too simplistic in its own right, but I, I kind of ferreted it out a little bit, as you heard, uh, just talking about some of the complexities and the fact that we do have injuries and we do have uh, this ongoing concussion thing that does pose a real um, a real concern for which we need to be talking about this, don't you think? Absolutely. All right. So give, uh, me, give me your perspective as a believer. Uh, as 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 a as a sports aficionado, as an as a former athlete in the game of football, as well as presently a coach in the football uh, community, how is such a question? Um, how is such a question volleyed uh, by you? How how would you approach that? So, <clears throat> what I would origin- initially approach would be from a biblical perspective. And um, just looking at it from that lens now, um, to look at football as um, a way in which um, the game is not for everyone. It is, it's a select number of men that are called that have um, an unction for um, a more physicality in sports, uh-huh. a more uh, combative attitude uh, towards each other in sports in terms of its physical rigor. Sure. Um, from a Christian perspective, what I do now is I pray over, which I believe Christians should be doing, mm-hmm. is pray over that that moment that they see um, because it is there is an inherent um, – uh, amount of um, physical collision that goes on. Right. And so because of that, that should be a prayed over moment. So I, I pray over those moments um, where that, that situation is occurring, where I'm actually in it. Right. Um, I, I pray over the field. I pray over the young men that are uh, on it. I never pray for wins or losses. I just pray that the Lord would be gracious enough to allow them to use the abilities that he gave them. Right. And, uh, and that particular calling to that particular type of sport interest and that it would be made safe. Right. Um, the game could be made safer by the fields to have a more cushioned um, field so that the young men, when they hit the ground, a lot of the trauma is being caused by the collision on the ground. Okay. The ground. Okay. And so, so that needs to can always be improved. Um, and so and the helmets have really improved over the time when I was playing right? Um, to the time that it is now. So there are things that they're trying to improve, um, but like everything else, it, it can get better. Right. The, um, my opinion about it is that the evolution of the game is paradoxical and carries a tension in it 
that sustains this query about his danger, uh, Coach. And that's this. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, if you've been around as long as you and I have and we're on the tarmac, we remember the days when the helmets were just a piece of leather. Uh, you just strapped on the top of your head. You you rem- just strapped on the top of your head. Wind <laughs> blowing through your ear. That's about it. Right now, we we weren't playing then, but we were watching it as kids. Right, right. Um, and and you know, and they were getting at it, and 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 I don't know if I really saw anything that constituted football pads then. To be honest with you, they they were no. they weren't any more than the kind of pads we use playing basketball. To be honest with you, right? <laughs> and, and those right. brothers were getting down the field and 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 playing the game um, with the same liabilities that exist today, except that. This is what I noticed. This is what I mean by the paradoxical tension of it. Um, the football players have become enormously more physical. Yes. In terms of their biological advancement and development and muscularity and agility and speed, all of that, right? You you, you agree Without with me. Without question. Without I mean question. I mean just just, you know, we are we are we are um we are, what do you call it? We are dealing with uh, galactic measures of advancement almost to, to, the, to the games on the computers, right? Absolutely. Uh, and, and, you know, I love that boy Love over there at, 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 uh, at, uh, at over there in, in um, Stanford. In Stanford, yeah. Have you seen him run? I have seen him run. Reminds me of you. Compact. Yeah. Compact. <laughs> nice broad shoulders. Yeah, reminds me of you. Yes, sir. But I can tell you what. When I watched him run, uh, and whatever I did back in the day, that was like <laughs> only one-tenth of what he did. I'm going to be honest with you. Right. He no, gets – he. what I love about it – and this is – here's where I'm going, just for the, the vast – uh, vast listening audience that just loves to listen to me dialogue. This is where I'm going, y'all, while I'm talking to my my, my, my brother in the Lord and and one of our coaches for our um, football camp as well. Here's where, here's where I'm going with that, um, Coach. There is a level of safety increased, in, in one sense, by the massive muscularity of the players, and therefore they're being in shape. There's a sense of... Um, a protection there that they didn't have because muscles protecting certain vital parts are critical in any sport. I think you would agree with that. Absolutely. Right. Not only that, but, but the teaching and the agility that wasn't there 10, 20, 30 years ago. And, you know, prior to that 50 years ago, they had no real fundamental teaching the way they do in terms of the agility and the uh, ability to move through space the way they do now. I agree. I agree. And, and and in that, that part of it, we want to redeem because that part of it, as you and I talked about football as an analogy of the hoople dime that we're teaching at Grace, right? Love it. I right, love it. Right, right. That people can't see the hoople dime in football. Yes. And as such, yeah. 
they they can't see the art of it that is a con- that is a consequence of the education that is a consequence of one being able to recognize that we can do things that we didn't do before that allows the leverage of minimizing impact in a certain way i mean just like in martial arts if you parry enough if you fade yeah. enough if you if you if you drop back enough when that punch comes you may get hit with it but not with the same intensity as if you missed that punch coming and got hit square on or just didn't have the ability in your core and in your legs to to swivel a little bit. You understand what I'm saying? I was boxing this morning. Love it. Yeah, I, I had some uh, I had some instincts that that might be where you were, and I just wanted to carry that in, which in a sense makes it a lot safer. Uh, and yet what I also see with it is that the 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 whole of the atmosphere is more conscious of it? Therefore, particularly in college, um, you're getting penalties for what would be egregious hits, right? right. Um, right. Uh, very egregious hits. So we are tagging now, which we didn't before, for motive. Correct. And 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 I think all that's important. I think it. I think it needs to continue to evolve. So that yes. and, and I had this thought even before this article came up. I'm going to tell you guys I did and not not because I'm so enamored with football, but I am enamored with a number of other things relative to human social dynamics of which sports is a better context for that interaction uh, than would be the gladiator world from which it came. Sports is a better context. I think you guys would agree with that. Um what I am looking forward to, Coach, is the continual evolution of the game so that it survives the accusations of some of the kind of maladies that are endemic in the game that lead to the concussions and lead to the dementia and lead to the other stuff, which I think is, is definitely there. I got one pastor who has eloquently argued that we still don't have concrete evidence that there's a connection. Sorry, I, I just I, I can't accept his argument is just a little bit week when we are looking at the the numbers. And yet here's what I would say. Um, If we continue, if we continue evolving the game in a way that we maintain a high level of respect for the human element of it, it can be redeemed. What do you think about that? Not only can it be redeemed, but having just been involved last Saturday and watching the emotions of young men who have trained together, who have uh, developed themselves as a team together and to then go out on the field and to give everything an exhausting uh, amount of effort um, going back and forth. And and that brotherhood and bond that they forged and will forge like I did and like you did and many others for life from those experiences. You don't get those experiences in in a math class. That's right. You don't get those experiences in a science class, that's right. But you get those in the uh, the environment of sports, and in particular in those team sports where it is uh, incumbent upon you to to hold your own, so that the other people can have um, benefits from your efforts. And there's so much gospel in that um, that it was just you know. And I always think of, of how Paul talks about in Romans of how, how focused he is to the gospel to punish himself like an athlete, that, that analogy of preparing for that, that confrontation. And to see these young men do that and, and then come out, and we weren't victorious. We lost by four points. Listen, but, you're, but, 
you were victorious. The spirit of the fight was great. It was so moving um, that it'll carry them and as well as me for a lifetime. Absolutely. Listen, I'm going to say this in closing because we're way overdue. Got a bunch of other callers ready to get on the line. Plus, I got to take a break to pay some bills. Those transferable skills right there uh, in a world that we live in that's broken by sin and yes. and 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 and, um, and ever lurking wars are are what prepares leaders to protect the 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 more vulnerable. Yeah. Right. And and, and and you see the complete transferable component there. That's beautiful. The I do. Soldiers, soldiers. And you got to have soldiers. Got to have soldiers. You got to have somebody that can get out that that weighs 225 pounds and get out in 4 seconds get in front of that fool and get in between that fool and that old lady or that that vulnerable couple and and just check that situation this is so true and have an appetite for that yeah, have it, a calling for that as mediators as mediators standing in the gap Listen, we in the it. we in the fifth quarter, and I'm way overdue. I'll talk I to you later. It, <laughs> Blessings. We'll be right back. Listen, Lynn Woods, you on next, and then um, Ken, and then David. One line open. One triple eight three six seven five three two nine. We're gonna pay some bills, so we'll be going for a minute. But we'll be right back. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. 